going to your butt. I'm quite surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Whoa, is us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to be. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our time. Ah, hello. Am I on? Oh, yes, I am. You're listening to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. Thank you for tuning in. And if you haven't tuned in, well, you have no idea what I'm saying. So go to hell. Oh, what a day, what a day, what a day. All these people coming out against Roy Moore. All these folks deciding, how should I vote? We can't let a Democrat get in office. Well, can't let Roy Moore get in office. Well, the people voting for Doug Jones, most of them had already made up their minds, and the people probably sticking with Roy Moore just to get a Republican in there, even if he's removed. Well, they had already made up their minds. If you feel like writing in somebody, there's a guy who was running a write-in campaign before any of this broke. I brought him on my show, one Ron Bishop. And he's not your usual politician. He's really running a writing campaign to show how crazy, how locked down the two-party, which is really a one-party system in Alabama, locks out third parties and actual diverse opinion. Because the more I meet people, especially in political circles, no matter if you call yourself a Democrat or Republican, a progressive or a conservative, people have very unique views. Now, they've been taught to parrot what the team is supposed to be about. But I think people can have very deeply held principles, but have unique understandings of what should be done in any given political situation. So cheer up, Alabama. We'll rise again. Well, maybe not rise again. That doesn't have the right tone to it. Well, we'll rise like a phoenix from the ashes of this special election. We will rise like a firework. If our ancestors could survive hookworm, we can survive this special election. And really, after much study and thought on the subject, I've come to the conclusion that most men, and it's in particular men, could be women, but it's mostly men, well, they seek power political prestige in order to compensate for their shortcomings. Behind the mask of many leaders, especially in the United States of America, we're supposed to be a republic. We're really a democracy now, or we emphasize democracy all the time. Behind the mask of any given leader in this democracy of ours, there's this insatiable insecurity either with themselves or with the world at large. We're a leader where he cannot reconcile his own personal sins. He seeks to absolve the nation. His libido dominandi, his lust for power, takes over. The country becomes almost his 
public confessional. As he turns the mirror away from his own scars and pockmarks towards the perpetually pockmarked public. Instead of confessing his own sins, he plays the role of priest or even earthly saver. Yes, priest or earthly savior or the shaman saying, I know the way. It's counterintuitive, but I know the way. He offers to hear the ills of the people so he may prescribe their collective penance. In playing such a role, leaders find absolution without ever having to look in the mirror. Service to the American people also serves as his payment of indulgence for swift entry into heaven or at least glory in the history books. Now, other than a few bitter partisans or weird malcontent apolitical people such as I am, the public is quick to grant a pardon to the most murderous, lecherous, and duplicitous person, in particular men, once they have gained some political office, whether senator or representative. Representative less than senator, but certainly president. All, all manner of sins can be forgiven, especially when it's on your team. The reason why is simple. People tend to see their senator or their president, or their representatives, their whatever, their leaders, salvation tied up in their own. We are the government, after all. We are literally the government and one nation under God. And our vicarious redemption requires we take no personal responsibility whatsoever. Only a collective burden. Where all are pardoned as long as they accept the bad faith government the state on high offers us. We're all scapegoats now. Yet there are times when even the public and the politicians begin to sense a crack-up of this carefully balanced system. We're in one of those periods, ladies and gentlemen. Calls for reform bubble up to the surface. When the collective burden becomes too obvious of a charade, the people demand a new illusion be recast, that a new awakening must occur. Else we will all become too skeptical for our own good. Again, we have reached that point in American democracy. I've heard it from all sides. People are just tired of the whole system. They're tired of the whole process. They're suspicious. They understand that they've seen these cynical political ploys being played by both parties over and over again. They're getting wise to what's going on. And in many ways, that's why Donald Trump is sitting in the White House. Too many people, though not quite the majority, but enough, maybe a third, they're seeing that the emperor has no clothes. And though we don't have an official emperor, if you put the president and the senate and the house, but also the will of the people all together, you're starting to see what I mean by emperor. Maybe the system isn't working for us. 
And no, I haven't been paid by Vladimir Putin to create disillusionment and disenchantment with our democracy. Though if the Russians want to pay me, fine, advertise. Now, some of the standard worries are as follows. People are concerned with the undue influence of money in politics. They're concerned with a culture of cronyism, a revolving door. Some people are protesting against the militarization of the country. So people ponder tweaking the length or number of our dear servants' terms. They question the fairness of the Electoral College. They fear the two-party system does not represent their interests or protect their freedoms. And this all might be true. So accordingly, we hear calls for campaign finance reform or suggestions for shrinking the government power so often bought by the crony fat cats. We hear proposals for criminal justice reform or ending the drug war. We hear petitions for putting term limits on members of Congress or recommendations for shortening the presidential tenure to one six-year term. Or even a complete scrapping of the Electoral College, as well as the two-party system. In order to usher in a more parliamentary, uh, multi-party system, like other nations have. And these suggestions are all well-intentioned. Some are even noble in their goals. Some might even come to pass. But as usually is the case with the American people, all these grievances and their respective remedies are much too practical and much too materialistic. They lack symbolic significance. They lack democratic spirit. They lack inspiration to really get the people going, get the people hot and heavy. The people are clipping around the edges of a bramble patch when what they really need is the clean slice of a nicely sharpened axe splitting through wood. So allow me, if I may, to propose a simple amendment to the Constitution of the United States that will help restore the symbolic spirit of the people and the people's dynasty, and in so doing preserve our collective salvation through democratic means. This can apply to the sections of the Constitution that set out eligibility requirements for, say, president, or eligibility requirements for being a senator. Essentially, keep the age requirements the same. You still got to be 35 to be president, 30 to be a senator. I'm not sure how old you have to be to be in the House of Representatives. You can be a little tot. You can be my age. God help us all. But keep all the age requirements the same. You have to reside in the state you're running for Senate. Hey, all that, keep it the same. But add to all those eligibility requirements that if the person is male, if they're of the male sex, upon declaring your nomination, not after you've won the whole thing, but upon declaring your nomination, that person, that male person, should undergo complete voluntary and utter castration. We should neuter our political servants, as many empires have done in the past. 
Now, this, of course, may be uh, technically difficult. It might be an obstacle, all the technical considerations. Uh, For instance, how would this change presidential secession? Would the VP also have to do it? I think so. So we'll add the VP, senators, everybody needs to be neutered. And I admit these sort of technicalities as where is the sheer audacity and gore of my suggestion, mutilating somebody, though it would be done voluntarily, uh, it would probably stop any realistic chance of this amendment passing. But folks, the world has enough realistic proposals as it is. And the fact that somebody thinks up something unrealistic, idealistic, ridiculous... That's never stopped social reformers before, whether they're on the left or the right. So I'm joining in. We are drowning in practical plans to save the world. What we need is an unrealistic proposal that stirs, again, the human spirit, the democratic spirit, to provoke true, lasting, drastic change. This new rule, the neutering of the political class, at least the male political class, would accomplish just that. And it is incredibly unrealistic. There would be one outcome from this rule. That if all men, upon declaring their nomination for high office, federal office, had to be neutered voluntarily, they would do the procedure themselves, um, there would be one clear outcome. All those high offices would be occupied mostly by women and eunuchs. And there would probably at least initially be more women than eunuchs serving in office. This is for the simple reason that most men don't want to undergo that sort of procedure, which I get. And because I understand that most men get that, any man willing to part ways with his endowment just for the sake of wielding political power would be demonstrably insane and immediately suspect in the eyes of the public. He would have little chance to win office, even after neutering himself. And beyond this direct effect, the potential merits of this proposal should be obvious to everybody. Dare I say, if I am right about the likely effects of this reform, this would be one of the greatest achievements in the history of American democracy. One of the greatest achievements in quite some some time, and to boot, um, restoration of ancient customs. If we are to protect the integrity of our people's democratic dynasty, the phallic influence must go. Of foremost importance, it would uh, diminish the ever-growing hormonal longings for empire and war. I mean, George Carlin has a whole bit about this. Essentially, he calls it the bigger foreign policy. And it sounds like, what? They have bigger... Let's bomb them! Needless to say, the record of history is clear. When it comes to war-making, men have the monopoly. When it comes to abusing people, historically, men have done this. But what is not clear, folks, is the proposition often advanced by some women. That if women ruled the world, there would be less war and everything would be generally better, especially for women. Now, I find this claim highly suspect, but I, I will say my whistle has been wet, 
My whistle is all wet, so I am quite curious to see whether or not if women ruled the world, there would be less war. Let's give it the old college try. Let women rule things for a while. Now, by no means is this a feminist proposal. Feminism should be about a realistic, practical equality between the sexes, not matriarchy ruled by women. But I have a sneaking suspicion that some card-carrying feminist wouldn't, you know actually love matriarchy. That's just a suspicion. But again, let's give it the old college try. Smash the glass ceiling by taking away the family jewel. This proposal, I think, could save us. It could save us a lot of trouble. It's really men that are the problem, folks. It would usher in a new era for sex, gender, and government. It would remind people that what really matters in our democracy are the symbolic achievements. Not practical policy, symbolic achievement. That's what matters. Not silly little things like campaign finance reform or term limits. Good God. If we could achieve feminine rule for centuries to come, history will bless us. God will save us. But he will only do so if we save ourselves first. And what could be a better offering, a better scapegoat than putting political on the chopping block? Now, folks, if you've taken me seriously at all, if this proposal were ever to pass, I believe the human race would still be doomed. We would still live in interesting times, and we'd be especially doomed for taking my, a foolish idiot's advice. Women would still make war, still have affairs in office, and still overall act like the dudes they were supposed to replace. The problem is never one's sex or one's gender. The problem is always your ideas. As long as faith in government and the state to solve all our ills, reign supreme. I'm not talking about a night watchman state or, yeah, we need to have a few courts, we need to have a few basic laws against murder and theft, but as long as we keep thinking, we the people keep thinking, the government, big daddy, big brother, the state, we the people can provide all through political control, through passing more laws, well, bad ideas will continue to make waste of our best intention. So again, cheer up, Alabama. It's not about the latest savior coming around to make sure we're going to win this culture war. I'll say it right here now. If you try to double down on the culture war, no matter if you're right wing or left wing, you're going to lose. At a certain point, people will get fed up. In fact, the best way to win the culture war, to create peace in our time, oh God, I'm going to eat those words, the best way to create peace in our time is to limit the size and scope of government. To allow anything peaceful in life, anything peaceful, it might be distasteful, it might be disgusting, but anything peaceful should be allowed. But I have a feeling every time I tell folks that the reason Americans are at each other's throats 
is because of all the power in the federal government, I either get a response that it's Obama who divided the nation or it's Trump who divided the nation. Occasionally, I get some old fart saying, it was George W. Bush and don't get me started on Richard Nixon. Or that limp president, Jimmy Carter. No, it's the power in D.C. that is corrupting us. And no matter whether it's a person running for Senate or a person running for president, when they promise you more, 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 you should be very skeptical. If you need the government to enforce your culture and way of life, maybe you should reassess your culture and way of life. When you need to force people To behave like you want them to behave, not only is that incredibly selfish, incredibly violent, it's incredibly insecure. It's probably not going to be a robust, blooming, blossoming culture. And I'm not talking about the right. I'm not talking about the left. I'm talking about the extremes. The folks always out to look for a fight, to pick a fight, to call out the hypocrites and the sinners in our midst. which culminates every few years, every couple of years in an election. You're never going to win a culture war at the ballot box. You win a culture war by producing incredible culture that people can't look away from. You produce incredible culture by living as an example in your own life and through the lives of people you help. Not by being told to pick the lesser of two evils on election day. Because again, I've met a lot of people from the right and the left, and people are unique. People are interesting. People have their own ideas on things, especially when they're told it's all right. You don't have to carry the party line here. And as long as it's peaceful, I would love to see what culture the United States of America would continue to make if people were allowed to be free. But in many ways, we're not free. In many ways, the government is not only nickeling and diming us every step of the way. They're restricting the most benign behavior, cute behavior, behavior that makes you healthy and happy, introspective, and also allows you to congregate with cuddly cute animals. Yes, I'm talking about goat yoga. And if you haven't heard about goat yoga, you're going to want to hear about it after the break. Because the D.C., Washington, D.C. government is cracking down on goat yoga. And it's just another example of how stupid and heavy-handed government can be. Right before we hit this break, again, my guest this Friday will be the band Simo, headed by J.D. Simo. This song called The Climb is off their latest album. Folks, you're going to want to check out Simo. Look him up tonight, right now. Oh, 
Clark. For the uninitiated, goat yoga is a form of exercise where gleeful yogis... Am I a yogi? Is it people who do yogi or yoga, you're a yogi? Like a, like a bear? Or like the catcher? Anyway, yoga is a form of exercise where gleeful people who do yoga, otherwise known as yogis, strike up poses next to, and sometimes underneath, cuddly animals. Classes have popped up at studios and barnyards all around the country, from Los Angeles to Wisconsin to Washington, D.C. I maybe should look around Alabama, though. I don't know if I'd want an animal in my face while I'm in down dog. Anyway. Well, Washington, D.C., the District of Columbia, is cracking down on goat yoga. Seriously, I'm looking at a picture of this. It's people on yoga mats... The simple position, your standard position, and there's a goat on top of her. And there are like other pictures where it's just cuddly animals hanging out while you're doing yoga. Well, but apparently in D.C., the Department of Health, DOH, is aiming to end this menacing mixture of fitness and farm animals. A D.C. microbrewery had to cancel two sold-out, because people are all for their goat yoga, two sold-out goat yoga classes, which were to be followed by beer tastings. Now, that sounds like a fantastic day. You go strike some poses, you sweat it out, you hang out with some cool, cuddly animals. Be sure, though, not to scare the goats. And then afterwards, you get to drink beer. Incredible idea. I love entrepreneurs. But they had to cancel these two sold-out classes after the Department of Health warned that events like this would violate a ban on spectators touching animals at public events. How did that law come to pass? You know, something had to happen. Who touched whom's animal? 
What public event was an animal touched that made y'all pass a stupid city ordinance and law against touching animals at public events? I can see don't touch somebody's dog unwelcome. The dog might bite you or might be a seeing eye dog and they're sweet and wonderful dogs, but you don't touch somebody others somebody else's animal. Some other person. But at a public event, I just don't know the story about that. Well, Cecilia Cervantes is the um, D.C. area resident who was planning these goat yoga classes. She says, it would have been cool to do something that mixes three things that I loved. Yoga, animals, and beer. It sucks that businesses can't use their creative liberties to bring in more customers and engage with the local community. You don't have any creative liberties. Again, it's all up to the government to enforce culture. Don't you dare be creative and do your own thing. But this is not the first time the D.C. Department of Health has shut down a goat yoga event. Oh, it's happened before. This past June, Department of Health also forbade the Congressional Cemetery from hosting a goat yoga fundraiser. The cemetery already hosts a weekly yoga class in its chapel, and it has previously used goats to clear away poison ivy and vines. So a goat yoga class seemed like a natural fit. Put two and two together, like PB and J. And that's from the cemetery director, Paul Williams. We were going to have a three-hour-long class, Williams says. The yoga instructor would kind of build in a lot of education about goats and goat milk. He had hoped to raise five grand from the events to help run the cemetery. And so when Williams first sought permission for the event, that's your first problem, Paul. Don't seek permission. Just go have a yoga class, have some goats running around, and let's have some cameras ready to watch the police crack down on you doing a down dog pose as a goat screams. Really? Here's what William said after he sought permission. He was invited to a meeting at the Department of Health in D.C. There he talked to the department's director, several lawyers, and even a veterinarian all of whom had elaborated justifications for why his fundraiser, his goat yoga fundraiser, couldn't go forward. They just put a bunch of hurdles in front of me, about every hurdle they possibly could have. Health officials initially informed him that he would have to get a wildlife handling permit for exotic animals. Which, under D.C. law, for some reason, exotic animals includes goats. They're domestic goats, Williams said. They've been domesticated for 6,000 years. In any event, the prohibition on exotic goats includes an exception for educational events. Something Williams thought would apply to his yoga class. The keyword there is class. But the city didn't buy that, saying there's no educational merit in learning how to stretch out your body, relax, and learn about all the incredible agricultural products that come from goats. Officials even expressed concern that participants might lose their balance 
and follow the goat. <laughs> Give me the name of the government official who said that. I don't even live in the District of Columbia. I don't want to live in the Imperial City. But the reason people couldn't do goat yoga is because you're worried somebody's going to fall over on a goat. That's a nation of freaking children. Anyway, the officials also said the event would violate the city's quote-unquote no-touch policy for animals at public events. As it happens, D.C. has public events where people touch animals all the time, though. The National Zoo, for instance, hosts a regular kids' farm where touching is not only allowed, but encouraged. And whoever wrote this copy up needs to be clear. Touching of the animals is not only allowed, but encouraged. Every time a visitor grooms a miniature donkey or pats a cow's head, they are serving as a living enrichment for the animals. That's from the National Zoo's website. There's such a thing as a miniature donkey? Wow. But the website also reminds you to wash your hands after touching the animals. Pop-up petting zoos, too, are also not unknown in the District of Columbia. It's... William said he was never provided, the guy who wanted to start the goat yoga class, a copy of the rule, the no-touch policy, saying health department officials told him it was internal policy. The Department of Health did not respond to any requests for comment on the matter. And most reporters couldn't find rules of prohibited conduct regarding animals. Except for bestiality. But not, not simply petting a goat or watching a goat while you're in a yoga pose. Whatever the provisions of this mystery policy, there will be no goat yoga in D.C. for the foreseeable future. There there is no legitimate, logical reason for it. We can do it literally down the street in Virginia, but we can't do it in Washington, D.C. It just see D.C. It just seems really bizarre. I'll let you in on a little secret, Mr. Williams. Miss Cervantes. The real reason the health department in D.C. doesn't want you doing goat yoga is because they're worried it's going to turn on the politicians up there, and I'm not talking about the yoga pants. Oh, we all know about the skull and bones photos and all y'all's weird rituals. You're upset at Roy Moore, and rightfully so, but I've got a feeling you don't run, want Roy up there because Roy's going to let the cat out of the back. People are going to start looking into Mr. Moore, and then they're going to start looking into the rest of you. They're going to start looking for that juicy story of hypocrisy after you vote out Roy Moore. There's already a story in this morning's New York Times. All oh, the news that's fit to print. What a pretentious slogan. Only topped now by the Washington Post. Pretentious slogan. Democracy dies in darkness. So ominous, I know. But they had a story in the Times this morning that <clears throat> there are a lot of people who have worked on Capitol Hill who have had sexual harassment issues, sexual assault even. Now, I've seen Charlie Wilson's war. Maybe things have changed since the 80s. But it's any of those high-pressure, long-hour jobs where you're away from your family a lot of the time, a lot of consensual 
sex will happen. Then you also get these people that are used to getting their way. If you don't do it, I'm going to beat you. I'm shocked that people who lust for political power might be a little, you know, heavy-handed when it comes to sexual advances. Shocking. It's almost like people in D.C. think they have impunity. But it is a bizarre world when you can't have goat yoga in D.C. When Alabama is supposedly freaking out. I'm not freaking out. I'm more than usual. What's with all this we crap, Alabama? Like, oh, we're going to be the laughing stock of the nation. Who's we here? Alabama's a mix of all sorts of people, different cities, different cultures within just the state. And we're going to be the laughing stock? You know, the laughing stock is Roy Moore. And I'm not the one doing all the laughing. I'm just telling you what the joke is. That was certainly made apparent on SNL over the weekend. So calm down, Alabama. We will rise again. Not, no, we will, we will get through this, is what I mean. Um, we just have to think it through. Vote for who you like. And then we'll come back and do it again in a few years. And we'll pick somebody else. After being disappointed... I think it'll it'll work out well. It'll work out well. Now, speaking of Roy Moore, I mentioned this earlier in the day, but I have to say his name. He did pave the way for a lot of talk radio. I might not have this job today, if not for Rush Limbaugh. But Rush Limbaugh's big point today, and I'm hoping this is satire and parody, was that Roy Moore was a, uh, he was Democrat when he was interested in teenage girls. So all of a sudden he came into the fold of the grand old party and his proclivity for younger women just went away. God, what a stupid, that is hilarious. That is a hilarious statement, Mr. Limbaugh. Now, let me go real quickly and just see if anything's late in breaking, folks. Oh, the Senate strips the Obamacare mandate. Oh, I feel so good now. Yeah, you know, the problem with health care is that it was crap before Obamacare. Republicans go, we need a free market in health care, but don't touch my Medicare. Well, it's not the same thing. Medicare is literally a single-payer system for the older and wiser among us. A system that I'm forced to pay into. And again, what's with all this we crap? Everybody wants oh, national unity. That Oh, let's have enforced service for the nation. That'll bring everybody closer together. Let's just force young people to serve in some capacity, whether it's in the military or some national project. Good Lord. How about no? Because no amount, no amount of forced service for the nation 
is going to mean that I consented to the programs now robbing me blind as a young man. No amount of service to the nation and happy talk about national unity or the good old days is going to put money back in the Social Security or trust fund or back into Medicare. No, they're going to continue to take from the young, to give to the old, because they spent the money the old paid in when they were young. And so they pit one generation against the other generation. And how many times am I going to see some stupid article about millennials? Again, with the we talk. You know, really, when I think people don't have a point, I'm saying this because I do it all the time. That's why I always damn the people. When you don't actually have a point, what you do is you pick a group and you attack that group. It might have been one stupid hipster in the coffee lounge trying to get his fancy pants drink, and you're going to broad brush a whole group of people because of their age. Oh, but Joey's acting just like a millennial. He's complaining. He's whining. He's kvetching. He's bitching on air. Yeah, I am. It's not like anybody older than me or younger than me ever does that. Certainly not in the political arena. So no goat yoga. I still think we should neuter senators and representatives and certainly presidents. I'm really not sure what happened with the Russians in the election. Are we still talking about that? We're now a year since the election, a year more, and we're still talking about the Russia thing. We're just going to keep going and keep going. Oh, and they're going to get the tax plan done, and oh, happy days are here again. You tweaked the tax code a little bit. Yeah, I'm not going to complain too much because it's a marginal improvement. But you guys suck. Even if you accomplish your health care reform, even if you get your tax plan done, you guys suck. Because you promise big and you never deliver. At least lower expectations a little bit. That's not the way the game's played. You have to promise heaven and earth to everybody in the country. And then you claim, I'm going to unify people. As though your policy proposals don't it's in, you know, at least a third of the country into paroxysms and foaming at the mouth. It is remarkable when I watch the news. So again, Alabama, don't worry too much about this whole Roy Moore situation. We've been through the Civil War, Reconstruction, hookworm infestations. I was, I was hearing about that the other day, that like in the deep south, not just Alabama, but definitely in Mississippi, uh, there was like one in five people had hookworm. Wow. And apparently it is literally a parasite growing inside you, living off you. And so it makes you lazy, makes you tired. And it happened because of bad sanitary conditions all across the South. But we've been through all this, Alabama. 
will get through the allegation that Roy Moore molested a 14-year-old girl, tried to force himself on a 16-year-old girl. God, it's just disgusting thinking about it. I don't know if it's true or not, but I wasn't planning on voting for Roy Moore anyway. I'm not planning on voting for Doug Jones either. Again, I'm leaving it up to the wisdom of all you people. Should be interesting to see what we come up with. But if I had anything to guess, because this is what democracy looks like in the great state of Alabama, is that Roy Moore gets elected. He's kicked out by the Senate. Because all of them are way too worried about their own skeletons coming out of their own closets. And Roy is sent back down. Get out! Like Satan being kicked out of the gates of hell. Get out of here. Go back to the fiery deep cell. And then what happens about two years from now? Roy Moore is elected again. Somehow he's proven that these allegations are false and he's back. Roy is back. Because that's what happened with the Supreme Court. All I have to say, folks, is thank God for undemocratic institutions. Things like the Bill of Rights that say, hey, yeah, the people decide, but the people, no matter who they elect to Congress, the Congress can't take away your freedom of speech or your freedom of religion and to think as you wish to be left alone. Those are the great things about our country. The idea that we get to join together and bully each other every few years over an election and vie for political power and tell incredible nasty lies about one another or share incredibly ugly truths about one another for bad intentions just to win. That's not what makes our country great. It's not. This country is at its best when we put aside idiotic tribal fights and we live up to our best ideals. And though it might seem petty, outlawing goat yoga in the nation's capital is a symptom of a much bigger problem. That we're doing this for your own good. Don't you dare go into that warrior pose or that down, oh, certainly not down dog with that goat near you. Turning on the congressman. Again, that has nothing to do with your yoga pants. Thank you for listening. This has been the Joey Clark Radio Hour. You know, soon, someday, I might have to bring on some political strategists. If I wanted to run for office, I mean, there'd be a lot of dirt I would have to just front load. Hmm, maybe I know some political strategists that I could bring on to advise me. We'll just do a meeting on air. Thank you for listening. Again, my name is Joey Clark. Have a wonderful night. Joey Clark.